Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold today's podcast was recorded yesterday if you want to listen to my podcasts commercial free the day i record them go to petershift.locals.com and sign up it only costs five dollars a month Today's podcast is sponsored by Shopify. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving small entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for just big business. For a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features, go to shopify.com slash gold. When I recorded my podcast on Friday, I warned that there was the possibility of a Black Monday-style crash today, although I did qualify my remarks by saying that I thought it was still a low-probability event. After all, a massive collapse like we had on a Monday in October of 1987, where the Dow fell something like 20% in one day, Those are very rare occurrences indeed. And so whenever I talk about the possibility for something like that happening, I know it's remote, but I know the conditions are in place to make it happen. And I recognize those conditions in the market on Friday. The technicals look horrible. The fundamentals look horrible. And so I saw nothing really to support the market, especially when you consider the fact that everybody is now convinced that the Fed put has expired, that the Fed is laser focused 
on getting rid of inflation and that it doesn't care about any collateral damage. It's not worried about the economy because it thinks the economy is super strong. We have a red hot labor market and so it's impervious to any rate hikes. And Powell has said repeatedly, the Fed no longer cares about the stock market. It doesn't matter to the Fed what happens to the stock market. It's not going to stop hiking rates simply because the stock market is going down. It's gonna focus on vanquishing the inflation threat and the stock market be damned. And given that attitude, why isn't the stock market imploding even faster? Think about it, because for all these years, investors have operated with the protection of the put. It started with Greenspan, the Greenspan put. He originated the concept of whenever the markets are in trouble, the Fed is there to bail you out. And then that baton was passed along to Bernanke and Bernanke passed it to Yellen. And for a while, Powell had that, but now all of a sudden, no, it's gone. We've thrown that put away, it's expired worthless. And so now investors are basically on an investment high wire without a net. Because in the past, they were up on this high wire, but they knew there was a net. So even if they fell, no big deal. They would just bounce around in the net and then just get right back up on that high wire and do more tricks. But now that they realize that the net is gone and if they fall, they're going to fall to their deaths. It should be very scary up on that high wire. Investors should want to climb down off that high wire because even though the markets have gone down, they're still up in the stratosphere. There is tremendous risk. Now, even though we didn't get a Black Monday style crash today, we still got a pretty bad day. In fact, there were people talking about it as a Black Monday, although it pales in comparison to the actual Black Monday. But the Dow was down 876 points, closed a little bit off the low, but that's a 2.8% drop on the day. Still a pretty big decline. The Dow is now down 17.4% from its record high. So still not in a bear market, but it is now the only major stock market index that is not in a bear market because today's 3.9% plunge in the S&P 500 finally put that index officially in a bear market. It's now down 22.2% from its record high on January 3rd of this year. And that means the bear market officially began on January 3rd of this year. It didn't begin today. This is just the date that that bear market was officially confirmed. But what it means is what I was saying has been true the whole time. I have been saying that we were in a bear market. It's just that it hasn't been confirmed yet. Well, today we got confirmation of the bear market that I knew we were in the entire time. And I think the Dow Jones is in a bear market too. I think there's no way that the Dow Jones is not going to be down by 20%. It's just a matter of time until this bear market is also confirmed. Now, the bear market in the NASDAQ was officially confirmed some time ago, and that bear market added to its decline down 4.3% on the day. The NASDAQ is now off by 32.6% from its record high. Russell 2000, actually, of all the indexes, it dropped the biggest percentage today, 4.8%. At one point, it was down better than 5% on the day. That index is now also deep into bear market territory, down 30.3% 
from its record high. And of course, if you focus in on the more speculative names in the NASDAQ, like the Kathy Wood ARK Innovation ETF, that fund was down 8.8% on the day, although you know it didn't make a new low. That's coming probably later in the week, but we had such a big rally off the low. And if you recall, I talked about that being a dead cat bounce, and that's exactly what it was. But based on where we closed today, even though it's not a new low for the year, we're still down 76.5% from the record high. And you know, a lot of times, again, when I talk about the ARK Innovation ETF, I also talk about the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust because those two are so highly correlated. Well, for a while, GBTC was lagging, but boy, did it catch up today. That ETF was down 19.8% on the day, and now it's down 74.25% from the high, almost identical to the decline of the ARK Innovation ETF. By the way, Bitcoin got completely clobbered on the day. In fact, it got beaten up all weekend long. It was down over 20%. If you recall, when I recorded my podcast on Friday, Bitcoin was about 29,200. As I'm recording it this morning, it's 23,200, down 6,000 points, basically over the weekend, 20 full percent. And you know, when CNBC was representing how much Bitcoin was down in comparison to the stock market, it was just showing the 24-hour drop that basically didn't count the big drop on Saturday. In fact, I started tweeting about how weak Bitcoin looked early Saturday morning, warning about the potential for a crash. And in fact, on my last podcast that I recorded Friday, I thought that Bitcoin could in fact have its Black Monday over the weekend. And since it dropped 20%, I think that actually qualifies as a Black Monday, given that it's the similar type of decline that we saw in the stock market on Black Monday, 1987. So I'll claim credit for getting that call right. And in fact, Ether had an even worse weekend. It was down about 33% on the weekend, falling below 1,200. It was above 1,700 when I recorded the Friday podcast. But the point is when CNBC was showing those graphics, Even though Bitcoin was down 20% since the stock market closed on Friday, they were showing it down 13 or 14% because they were just counting the 24-hour decline rather than the entire decline since Friday when the U.S. stock market closed. But I'm going to talk more about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies towards the end of the podcast. But in the meantime, I want to keep the focus on the more legitimate financial markets and really what's driving them lower and what should be driving them even lower. In fact, one thing that happened in the stock market today that should have sent off some alarm bells, a recent EV startup, Last Mile Solutions, and I'd never even heard of this company, but they came public through a SPAC in September of last year. Well, today they announced that they're going to be filing Chapter 7 bankruptcy. So less than a year ago, they went IPO through a SPAC, $10 a share. I think the last price I saw today was $0.19. Cents. Now, I don't know if IPO to bankruptcy in less than a year is some kind of record, But, you know, this is not going to be the first IPO that's going to go bankrupt. 
Wall Street dressed up a lot of these pigs when interest rates are at zero and the public was screaming for any kind of IPO and people are going to buy anything with a symbol. Meme stocks rule the day. And so this is the beginning. They're going to fall like dominoes. And a lot of people should be worried about what this portends, not just for the stock market, but what about all the investors and what about all the employees? How many people are going to get laid off from companies that are going bankrupt? How many people are going to get laid off by companies that are trying to avoid bankruptcy? And the one way they can do that is by substantially reducing their headcount. Remember, everybody is relying on the strength of the labor market to keep us out of recession, including the Fed. Well, the labor market is going to implode. It's not going to be long before the pink slips start going in the mail. I mean, look at what's happening in the stock market. Look at what this is going to do to employment. I talked on the last podcast about the collapse in consumer sentiment. It's an all-time record low, and that was before what just happened today. And so I'm sure consumers are going to be even more pessimistic as they're watching their stock market wealth evaporate. How long before people see their home equity evaporate? Who? What's going to happen to mortgage rates? In fact, today, 30-year fixed-rate mortgages surged above 6.1%. Consumers are getting clobbered. They are going to have to hunker down. Businesses are going to have to hunker down. This is going to be a massive recession. And given that, is the Fed really going to continue to fight inflation, even though it can't do it? without causing a recession. In fact, I think they've already caused a recession. Just like I've been saying we were in a bear market, we didn't officially get confirmation of that bear market until today. I think that we've been in a recession ever since the beginning of last quarter. We're just not going to get confirmation of that recession until we get the negative GDP number for the second quarter. But the question isn't, can the Fed fight inflation without causing a recession? Because they've already caused it and they've barely begun the fight. The question is, can they fight inflation without causing a depression, without causing a financial crisis, without causing the U.S. government to default on its treasury debt? And I think the answer to those questions are no, it can't, which is why it won't. But the markets still haven't been able to figure that out. You know, to me, if investors play chess the way they invest, they would lose every game. Because for some reason, investors can't see beyond the move that's right in front of them. So their opponent makes a move and that's it. They can't think about what their opponent may be thinking about two or three or four moves later. And they don't even plan their moves in advance. They just think about one move. How are they going to respond to the most recent move? And that's it. And if you play chess like that, well, you're going to lose every chess game. You got to try to anticipate what's going to happen next. Not only what you're going to do next, but what your opponent might do next and all the various permutations based on what you might do and what your opponent might do. Obviously, the markets know the Fed is going to hike rates. They're saying that, but they're not seeing what comes next. What do those rate hikes do 
to the economy? And then how does that change the moves that the Fed makes? Because if investors could see the later moves that are coming, they would be buying gold, not selling it. They would be dumping the dollar, not buying it. But they did the opposite today. Gold actually dropped by better than $50 an ounce today, more than eradicating all of Friday's gain. We're now just below $1,820 an ounce. Although gold is still holding up pretty well on the year, we're only down about 10 bucks on the year. And of course, that means that before today, the price of gold was actually positive on the year. Now, gold stocks, they're down. Although if you look at the GDX, it was down 6.5% today, but it's only down about 5% on the year, which means before today, it was positive, which is not that bad. If you consider it in relation to, say, the NASDAQ, which is down almost 33%, or even the S&P down better than 22%. Now, the gold stocks didn't go up as much as either of those indexes recently, but they're not collapsing. Now, the junior gold stocks are weaker. They were down 8.1% on the day. They're now down 11.7% on the year. But again, not as bad as the small cap U.S. stocks. Russell 2000, again, down better than 30%. So they are holding up, but they're still going down because investors still don't get it. They still believe the Federal Reserve is going to be successful in its war against inflation. But in order for the Fed to actually be successful, the Fed is going to have to raise rates much more than the market believes, and it's going to do far more damage to the economy. It's going to cause, again, not a recession, but a depression. You're going to have a wave of stock market bankruptcies. You're going to have a wave of defaults. You're going to have a financial crisis much greater than anything in 2008 with no bailouts, no stimulus, and included in the defaults will be the U.S. Treasuries. The U.S. government will not be able to pay the interest on the national debt if the Federal Reserve actually raises interest rates sufficiently to bring inflation back down to 2%, which is what they're claiming they're going to do. And of course, they can't even succeed in that endeavor unless they get cooperation from the U.S. government in massively cutting government spending or massively raising middle-class taxes or some combination of both, which they're not going to get. The markets, again, are not playing chess. They're playing checkers. They have no idea what's going to happen. They're just staring at what's right in front of them without looking at what's coming next. And so that's what's creating this massive buying opportunity, I think, in these mining stocks and in the metals themselves, because when investors finally wake up to that reality and they're completely surprised by what happens, they're going to have to scramble to reposition And that's why I'm already positioned properly. I'm not going to have to scramble. I think I'm going to sit back and watch a lot of other investors scrambling to buy what I already own. In fact, look at what happened in the bond market today because that was the real carnage. But that also tells the story of how wrong investors are with respect to their expectations on inflation. Now, this was one of the worst days I've seen year to date in the bond market across the curve. And I think part of it, again, is because of the anticipation of potentially a 100 basis point rate hike on Wednesday when we get the FOMC's decision. Now, remember, Powell had said that it's going to be 50. A 50 basis point rate hike in June, another 50 basis points in July, and he left September data dependent. 
As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But now all of a sudden you got JP Morgan saying 75 won't even be enough. Some of the banks were thinking maybe we're going to do 75 on Wednesday. Now JP Morgan is saying they got to do 100 because now 75 won't be enough. Well, 100 is not enough either. I still think they might do 50 and indicate that maybe they'll do 75 or 100 at the next meeting because the Fed kind of likes to deliver on what it's promised and it really hasn't promised more than 50 basis point hike. But I think the Fed is damned if it does and damned if it doesn't because if the Fed raises by 50 basis points, the markets are going to say they're behind the curve. It's not enough. They're not fighting hard enough, which of course will be true. But if they raise interest rates by 75 or 100 basis points, they'll say, oh, the Fed is panicking. Oh my God, they're really afraid. They hiked more than they said. This must be a bigger problem than we thought. And the markets are still going to go down. But again, the reality is it doesn't even matter because they're still so far behind the curve. Even if they raise 100 basis points, they haven't raised enough, which is why they might not do that because if the markets are going to go down anyway, 
well, then they might as well just do 50 basis points instead of 100. And again, what nobody seems to understand about inflation and Fed policy is that it works with a lag. And so even if the proposed rate hikes were enough to bring inflation back down to 2%, which they're not, but just assume for the sake of argument that they are enough, you're not going to actually see that for another year or two. So consumers are not going to get any relief from inflation as a result of these rate hikes for another year or two. In fact, we're going to get the producer price index tomorrow, and the expectation is for a monthly increase of 0.8. Now, maybe we'll get another hotter than expected number. The year-over-year increase in producer prices as of April was 11%, and the markets are looking for that number to hold up for May. But remember, that's still above the 8.6% rise that we have in consumer prices. And if producer prices continue to outstrip consumer prices, that means producers are going to have to raise prices even faster in the future to make up the difference. But all this talk about the Fed having to be even more aggressive in winning its fight against inflation, that sent bond prices tumbling across the curve, yields soaring to new highs for the cycle. The yield on a two-year U.S. Treasury now at 3.35%. I think that's the highest uh, since 2007 or something like that. I forget, but we haven't had yields on a two-year this high in a long time. The yield on the five-year, now the high point of the curve still, 3.48%, almost 3.5%. 10-year yields at 3.36, 30-year yields at 3.35. That means the yield curve is inverted again from the 10 to the 30. It's also inverted from the 5 to the 30, and it's completely flat from the 2 to the 30. That means if you buy a two-year treasury, you get the exact same yield as you would get if you bought a 30-year treasury. Now, what idiot would buy a 30-year treasury if they can get the same yield buying a two-year treasury? Why would you want to take 28 more years of inflation risk just by the two-year? You're not getting paid any more for taking all that risk. And that's because bond investors don't perceive that inflation is a risk over the long run. They perceive that it's a risk in the very short run, but they believe that the Federal Reserve is going to eradicate that risk. Now, that is completely impossible. I don't understand why the bond market investors can't see all those chess moves and figure out that the Fed cannot get rid of inflation. It can talk about doing it, but it can't. I mean, if it could, it would have acted preemptively to stop it from happening. Instead of pretending it was transitory or hoping it wouldn't even show up, the reason they did that is because they knew they couldn't prevent inflation from breaking out. And if they couldn't prevent it from breaking out, they certainly can't put that genie back in the bottle because that's an even more impossible task than the one that they refused to do because they were so afraid of the collateral damage that they would create. The same thing would happen if they actually fought inflation. In fact, I mentioned in the consumer sentiment numbers we got on Friday that consumer long-term inflation expectations are now 3.3%. And I believe that consumers are wrong, that inflation is going to be a lot more than 3.3%, but at least the consumer is closer than bond investors, because clearly bond investors don't expect 3.3% inflation, or they wouldn't be buying 30-year treasuries that yield 3.35, because after all, that's a zero rate of interest. 
Who is going to lock up money for 30 years for zero real interest rates? And of course, a lot of people buying these treasuries have to pay taxes on that. So that means after tax, you've got a negative yield. So it doesn't make any sense. The markets still believe that inflation is going to crash, that somehow the Fed is going to be successful in bringing inflation back down below 2%. The markets still don't get that that period of low inflation was transitory. And now it's over and we are going to have a period of very high inflation. And when the markets come to terms with that reality, then bond prices are going to crash even more than they're crashing now, except the dollar is also going to crash and gold is going to store. Don't you just love that sound? That's the sound of another sale being made on Shopify. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is more than just the store. It allows you to connect with your customers, it drives your sales, and helps you manage your day-to-day. Shopify instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. It has thousands of integrations and third-party apps, from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots and beyond. So supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success for a free 14-day trial go to shopify.com slash gold all lowercase shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere giving you the resources once reserved for just big business and it's customized for you with a great looking online store that brings your ideas to life and gives you the tools to manage and drive your sales making your idea real opens endless possibilities in fact i really love how shopify makes it so easy for anyone to successfully start and run their own business shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs from their first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, another small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. So get started today by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience required. Gain powerful access to the tools that help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with the resources you need to succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than just the store. Shopify grows with you. These are the possibilities, and they're powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash gold, all lowercase, to get your free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. So start selling today at Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash gold right now. Speaking about the dollar, the dollar index was very strong across the board today. In fact, we did get above the 105 handle. We're now at the high that we've been since 2002. So a 20-year high in the dollar index. We closed at 105 spot 20. Dollar was strong across the board. Again, where is this dollar strength coming from? It's coming from the perception that the Fed is going to be more aggressive than the ECB and more aggressive than the Bank of Japan, and it's going to fight inflation. It's going to win its battle. But the bond market must believe that either the Fed is not going to cause a recession, even though we're probably already in one, or that if it causes a recession, it's not going to care. Even though everything the Fed has said with respect to its resolve 
to fighting inflation is always predicated on how strong the economy is, in particular, how strong the labor market is. Well, that is going to turn around on a dime pretty much any month now. And when that happens, the Fed is going to have to pivot as well to reflect that reality. In fact, one of the few things that really wasn't down today was the price of oil. I mean, I think it's around $121 a barrel on the close. We're still holding above 120, which for a while was the resistance. And now it seems like it's support. Oil prices are going to keep going up. Bond yields are going to keep going up. And by the way, I mentioned that even if what the Fed is doing now with interest rates is going to have an effect on providing relief from increases in consumer prices, consumers are going to wait a year or two for that relief to show up. In the meantime, prices are going to keep on rising for consumer goods. But the negative effects of raising interest rates are immediate. As the Fed is raising rates now, even though we're not going to get the beneficial effects on consumer prices for a year or two, the negative effects are right now on interest rates. Mortgage rates go up right now. Credit card rates go up right now. Car loans go up right now. Home equity loans go up right now. So all of the debt that consumers have immediately becomes more expensive to service. Meanwhile, food prices keep going up. Rents keep going up. Energy costs keep going up. So in the short run, if consumers were pessimistic before the Fed started fighting inflation, they're going to be even more pessimistic as they ramp up the fight because they're not going to see the results for a long time. And in fact, long before they see the results, the Fed is going to give up the fight and it's going to create even more inflation because I know what's going to happen. The minute these unemployment numbers start to surge, and it's not just going to be because a lot of people are going to lose their jobs and they're going to lose their jobs. Where are they going to lose their jobs? They're going to lose their jobs in technology. All these companies where the stock prices are collapsing, some of them are going bankrupt. They're going to have a lot of layoffs. You're going to have a lot of layoffs at banking. Certainly, no one's doing mortgage refis anymore. So a lot of those mortgage bankers are going to be unemployed. The construction industry, people aren't going to be building new homes. So they're going to lose their jobs. In the retail space, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. I think a lot of jobs are going to be lost in travel and leisure. Remember, a lot of these jobs were lost during COVID. Well, these people have been recalled. They're going to get fired again for good. Because now all these businesses are going to realize that they don't need these workers. Because yes, there's no COVID. People are allowed to travel if they want to. The problem is they can't afford to. The cost is now so high to travel and they have so little money left over to afford those costs because they're spending so much money on food that they're going to cut back on their travel. So we're going to see layoffs at restaurants, layoffs in hotels and all kinds of bankruptcies. But not only are people going to be losing their jobs, but a lot of people who don't have jobs now and who are not part of the labor force, they are going to enter the labor force. Why? Well, older people who retired during the pandemic, well, they're going to come out of retirement. Those are going to be very short retirements because they thought they had a lot of money in the stock market and the bond market. Well, that money is gone. The stock market has collapsed, but even the bond market has collapsed. If you look at an ETF, TLT, which is an ETF of bonds, it dropped 3% today. It's down 25% on the year, an ETF of U.S. Treasury bonds is down 25% year to date. And if you look at how much it's down from its 2020 high, it's down 36%. Now, I bet a lot of people who bought this fund were under the impression that they were taking limited risk to no risk. After all, they were buying U.S. Treasuries, right? How safe can you be? You know what the yield is? The dividend yield on this ETF? It's 2%. 
people bought this thing trying to get a safe 2% yield. And year to date, they're already down 25%. That's like 13 years of their yields. But the stocks are getting killed. Bonds are getting killed. These 60-40 portfolios are being decimated. And of course, a lot of people own all these tech stocks. So they're getting clobbered even more than the overall indexes. So people are losing wealth. Meanwhile, their cost of living is way higher than they expected. Food costs, energy costs, their rent, whatever. So I think a lot of people that thought they had enough money to retire early now realize that they better go back to work. In fact, they may never have enough money to retire given how much money they've just lost in the bear market and how much the cost of living has gone up. So now all these people go back into the labor force and now they're officially unemployed looking for jobs. The same thing is going to happen with a lot of young people who thought they never had to get a job because they were genius meme stock and cryptocurrency traders. They were making all this profit trading. Who needs a nine to five job? That's for squares. This is the new economy, right? What do my parents know? I found a new way to get rich. I don't need a real job. Who wants to wake up and punch a time clock and travel to a job? I mean, all I have to do is trade and I'm going to live off my profits. Well, that whole story has blown up. And now a lot of young people who have lost whatever profits they had, in fact, they probably lost whatever principle they started with. Look at Robinhood shares now again today down at another new low. I think the stock got to about seven bucks. It was at 85 on the high. That's where a lot of these young people were trading on the Robinhood app, also Coinbase or some of these other crypto exchanges. But now they're blowing up. So now these people are going to be going to work. They're going to be entering the labor force. So just as people are getting fired, more people are going to be looking for work. And a lot of companies that thought they needed people are now going to realize that they don't need people. And a lot of these open positions are not going to be open anymore because the companies are going to realize that they misinterpreted demand and they don't really need the workers that they were trying to hire. So all those open positions are going to suddenly close. And now you're going to have this huge spike in unemployment. And what is the Federal Reserve going to immediately conclude from that? Oh, we don't have to worry about inflation. We don't have a wage price spiral anymore. We have all this unemployment and that is going to reduce inflation. It's not, because when the Fed pivots because of recession and doesn't deliver the rate hikes that the market expects, then the dollar is going to tank, then prices are going to rise even faster, and now we're going to have recession and high inflation simultaneously, except the Fed will no longer be able to operate under the false pretense that it's going to get rid of inflation because it's going to be trying to prop up an economy that's in recession, maybe on the verge of depression, and then the markets are going to have to come to terms with the reality that inflation is here to stay. It's going to be much, much higher than 2%. We're going to be in the highest inflationary period in U.S. history, and that's going to be even worse for the bond market than bond investors already understand. But more importantly, it's a complete game changer for the precious metals market and the U.S. dollar. And obviously, it has broad-based implications for U.S. versus international investments. Now, with respect to U.S. companies, there's one story that I did want to mention that really got lost in all the bigger picture stories that were going on today about the market. Google decided to settle a class action discrimination lawsuit that was filed by female employees and they claimed that Google was discriminating against women, that Google was promoting less competent men over more competent women. 
and Google agreed to pay $118 million to settle this lawsuit. And the reason I think this is a significant story, it's not that it's a big deal for Google. Google's a big company, and they can afford to write a $118 million check to settle this lawsuit. But clearly, the lawsuit is frivolous, because there's no way that Google, if they're really concerned about maximizing their profits, why would they deliberately promote incompetent men to take positions when they have more competent women that are working for them that can do the job better? Why do they want to overpay incompetent men? And why do they want to give their competitors some type of advantage in the marketplace by not promoting their most competent people to do the job? And in fact, why take the risk that one of their competitors will hire one of these women away? After all, if Google is discriminating and just not promoting these highly competent women, clearly these women are competent enough to shop around in the job market and find a company that does want to maximize profits and that will hire them. Google apparently is just a misogynist company and they care more about keeping women down than keeping profits up. That's obviously a bunch of BS and I'm sure that Google was not guilty of any of these allegations, yet they had to pay to make this lawsuit go away. The reason this is a problem is because this runs up the costs of American business. It makes American business less competitive, but more importantly, it sends a powerful message to smaller companies that can't afford to write these big checks to settle frivolous lawsuits, and they can't afford to pay the lawyers to litigate these frivolous lawsuits. So the message that it sends is, if you don't want to get sued, just don't hire women. If you've got a small company and you just need three or four employees, play it safe and hire white men, and that way nobody can sue you for any type of discrimination. And so what that does is that backfires, and it does make it harder for women to get jobs. And, of course, it means that companies have to pass up maybe women that could have done a better job than the men that they hired But the employers didn't think that the added benefit of hiring these more competent women was large enough to offset the potential liability that they may one day find themselves on the wrong side of a frivolous lawsuit. But as I promised earlier in the podcast, I want to wrap up today's podcast by going over the crypto carnage from over the weekend and today and how it was covered on CNBC, which is basically an infomercial for crypto. And as I've been pointing out, there are now nearly 20,000 different cryptocurrencies. They're really just crypto tokens. At one point, the combined market capitalization of all those tokens, and there wasn't nearly this many at that time, but it was just about $3 trillion. Well, we've now lost $2 trillion. We're about $970 billion. That's still a big value for a collection of worthless tokens, but we've lost $2 trillion in market cap. That's $2 trillion down, $1 trillion to go. And you know, it's that final trillion that's going to be the most painful. But despite this carnage, true to form, CNBC had the crypto pumpers out in full force. They kept trotting out one so-called independent expert after another to keep people from abandoning a sinking ship. It started early in the morning with Anthony Scaramucci of Skybridge Capital. They have all sorts of crypto products, both for the currencies and all the companies that are involved. And their funds are just getting obliterated recently. 
Anthony was reassuring people not to worry that it was like the early days of the dot-com when you had a shakeout and a lot of the companies went bankrupt, but the cream rose to the top and you had companies like Amazon that did really well. The idea being that the cryptos that they own, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, well, they're the future Amazons and all you have to do is ride this out. In fact, he was recommending that investors keep on buying the dip and a year from now, they're going to be rewarded. In fact, you had one expert after another. And again, they're experts because they work in the crypto industry, but because they work in the crypto industry, they are completely biased in favor of crypto. They didn't bring on anybody who was saying, hey, yep, it's a bubble. The air is coming out. You better sell now or you're just going to sell later at an even lower price. No, they didn't have anybody who was bearish on crypto, really. It was one crypto bull after another. In fact, they brought on this one guy, John Todaro. I hadn't heard of him, but he is in the crypto industry. And he was saying that he was impressed by how well Bitcoin was holding up. I mean, what is he talking about? How well it's holding up? When he said that, Bitcoin was down 67% in the last seven months, and it was down 20% over the weekend. And somehow a 20% decline in one weekend constitutes holding up well. I mean, how is that possible, especially when you're marketing Bitcoin as a store of value? How could a store of value lose 20% of the value you're storing in one weekend? I mean, this is how low the bar has been lowered to holding up. Yes, I guess Bitcoin gained against other cryptos, which went down even more than Bitcoin. So yes, if you owned all the altcoins, you lost even more than you lost in Bitcoin. But there is no way that you can accurately describe Bitcoin as holding up well, considering how much value it's lost in such a short period of time. But it wasn't just poor technicals that was driving the sentiment and the market lower. You actually had a lot of bad news that came out specifically related to crypto, not just that tech assets, risk assets in general, were getting clobbered. And clearly, Bitcoin is in the risk asset camp, so it's getting clobbered along with the other risk assets. But there was some news specific to the crypto industry, the worst of which actually was released last night. A company called Celsius froze withdrawals of all cryptocurrencies stored by customers on its platform. Celsius is one of the largest crypto lenders. And in fact, the reason that so many customers, and I think they have about 2 million customers, and the reason they deposit their Bitcoin and other cryptos with Celsius is because they pay interest on your Bitcoin. And I think that interest is supposedly as high as 18%. So if you put 100 Bitcoin on their platform, over the course of the year, you'll end up with 118 Bitcoin. And that's a lot of money because normally you put Bitcoin in an account, you don't earn any interest. And of course, if you put dollars in an account or anything else, there's hardly any interest. Even after the Fed has raised interest rates, interest rates are still very low. So these are very high interest rates. And so there were a lot of people that were attracted to this proposition. And now all of a sudden, it's like a run on the bank because what I think happened is a lot of customers started to get worried 
with Bitcoin prices crashing, hey, maybe I should take my coins or, you know, maybe they had a margin call someplace else or they needed their coins or whatever. People tried to get their coins off the platform and they basically had to shut it down because obviously a lot of the Bitcoin and other tokens that were on deposit have been lost. And so there's not enough to redeem all the deposits. And had they not shut the doors, some people would have left with all of their deposits and that would have imposed bigger losses on the people who didn't leave. And so in order to spread the losses more evenly among all of the depositors, they had to shut the doors. But this is a huge moment. This is a bank run. This is the end of this company. God knows how much crypto has actually been lost. People are going to have enormous losses. This is a big news announcement, another huge negative for this industry. We already had the complete blow up of the Terra Luna project. Now this thing is blown up. And remember, I was very critical of the Terra Luna project the moment I heard of it. I knew it must have been a scam and I was vindicated. Well, the same thing with Celsius because I actually debated the guy who ran this company, Alex Mashinsky. It was six months ago. It was on Kitco and you can watch the whole debate on YouTube. It's about 90 minutes long. And when I did this debate with this guy, Bitcoin was about $60,000 per coin. So near the top of the Bitcoin market. But I knew just from this interview and I didn't really know anything about the guy until we had this interview. I hadn't done any research. I hadn't studied him. I had no idea about his company. But during this debate, he started to describe how he pays this high interest to depositors. In fact, they even had a crypto backed by gold that he said nobody really wanted, which made sense to me because people were buying cryptos to get rich. I mean, you don't buy gold to get rich. You buy gold to stay rich or to stop from going broke. But he said that people who did have these gold tokens on the platform, they were getting paid 5% interest on their gold. And I said, well, how could you pay 5% interest on gold What are you doing to generate that interest? You must be taking a lot of risk. And Mashinsky responded to me by saying, no, 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 we're not taking any risk. And I said, well, that's impossible. You have to take risk. It sounds to me like you're running some kind of a Ponzi scheme. It sounds to me like you're doing something that Madoff was doing. And obviously I was right. Clearly they were taking risks. Those risks have blown up. And in fact, I think if anybody lost money through this company, they could probably use that interview as evidence in a lawsuit because here you have the head of the company lying to potential customers or actual customers who tuned in to watch this debate. About 150,000 people watched it. And if you look at all the negative comments about me that were posted, a lot of these people are obviously customers of Mashinsky's. They had accounts with his company and they were told a flat out lie that the company was not taking any risk with their deposits. Well, of course they were taking risk. There is no such thing as a free lunch. There is no reward without risk. And that's exactly what happened. And now the people who are looking to get a return on their Bitcoin have lost their Bitcoin and they're not going to get their Bitcoin returned. I mean, they may get a fraction of their Bitcoin returned. And of course, the Bitcoin, by the time they get their Bitcoin back, the market price of those Bitcoins will have probably dropped substantially from here because this bear market is a long way from over. We're still going down a lot. Plus another 
problem for Celsius customers is that they're likely just considered general unsecured creditors of the company. There is probably other debt that the company itself has, and those debtors may be able to attach those cryptocurrencies left on deposit as security for those debts because, after all, they were being used for the basis of loans, and so those assets were likely commingled with the assets of the company, and therefore they're fair game in a bankruptcy proceeding, which can also tie up these coins for years. Plus, in addition to depositing their Bitcoin or other cryptos in their Celsius accounts, a lot of people actually bought the Celsius token. CEL is the three-digit ticker for that token. And in June of last year, the total market cap of all the CEL in circulation was about $1.7 billion. That was the peak. By the time I did my debate with Mashinsky about six months ago, the market cap had fallen, but it was still $1.1 billion. As of today, it's all the way down to about $60 million headed for zero. And what I thought was very interesting is there finally was some criticism on CNBC. They were talking about, hey, you know, I guess this really didn't look right. After all, how are you going to pay 18% interest? I mean, clearly they must be doing something. They must be taking some risk. This should have been a warning sign. Yes, it was a warning sign. To me, I pointed it out. I heard about it real time for the first time on this debate. And I called the guy out. I knew there was fraud going on. That's why I got so upset. If you watch this debate, you see that I'm losing my temper because I knew that this guy was ripping people off. And I also got upset at the moderator because it seemed like she was helping him. She was holding the door open as he was leading the lambs to the slaughter. So I got upset at these outrageous comments that he was making about how they're not taking any risk when they clearly were taking risk. And then he said all kinds of ridiculous stuff about gold. Like he talked about gold and he said, well, sure, you can use gold to make jewelry or you can use gold to conduct electricity, but it doesn't actually have any value. So he describes some of the value that gold has and then claims it has no value. He claims that Bitcoin is no different from gold because neither Bitcoin nor gold have any actual value, but that's complete BS. Sure, it's true for Bitcoin, 100% of its value is derived from faith, but gold's value comes from its being a precious metal. It doesn't derive its value from faith. It derives its value from the properties of that metal and all of the things that that metal could be used for and all of the unique properties that gold has that other metals do not share. But one of the other completely ridiculous comments that he made in response to something I said about the tremendous downside risk in Bitcoin, I talked about all the leverage in the system and how much money had been borrowed to buy Bitcoin. And then Lashinsky said, oh no, all that leverage has been repaid. All that debt is gone. The last shakeout got rid of it all. And so we've purged all the excesses from the system. Mind you, we're still at $60,000 Bitcoin. And this guy is telling everybody that you don't have to worry about leverage. You don't have to worry about margin calls because all the debt is gone. The debt isn't even close to being gone. And I don't even think we've triggered the margin calls yet. I think we're going to start to see the forced liquidation once Bitcoin breaks below 
20,000. And in fact, I was watching Bitcoin fall all weekend and it was the most orderly slow motion crash I've ever seen in Bitcoin. Typically what you have when Bitcoin is going down, you have these flash crashes where Bitcoin spikes down maybe two, three, four, five thousand dollars in a single five minute bar, right? And then it comes back. That never happened. It was a slow and steady decline no sign of capitulation. Nobody was like, just get me the hell out. I'm done with it. Probably a lot of people were buying the dip the entire way down. And so that doesn't look like anyone got a margin call. Anyone was forced to sell. So I think those forced liquidations are coming, but they're going to happen from a much lower level. And so once we are below 20,000, somewhere between 20 and 10 is where I think all the margin calls are going to be triggered. Maybe even MicroStrategy's margin call, Michael Saylor, is going to have to put up more money or more Bitcoin. We'll see if he has it. And I think that could drive a precipitous crash in Bitcoin well below 10,000, maybe even below 5,000. Now that may create a short-term tradable bounce. Most likely get some kind of rally up to between 15 and 20,000. I don't know, but that'll be another dead cat bounce. The market is going to continue to go down. And ultimately, even if we get a new bull market in other risk assets, because the Fed does capitulate, it pivots, it goes back to QE, it goes back to fighting recession and not inflation, we could get another bull market in stocks, but it won't include cryptocurrencies. But where the real bull market will be is in gold and silver and in foreign stocks, because even if the Federal Reserve manages to engineer a nominal bull market in U.S. stocks in real terms, in terms of foreign currencies, in terms of inflation, in terms of gold and silver, even though nominal stock prices may be going up, real stock prices are going to continue to go down and crypto prices are going to collapse.